Be seated. <laughs> Praise God. All right. If you want to grab your Bible, um, we're going to go to the book of Ephesians today. The book of Ephesians. Thank you, worship team and uh, leaders today. And by worship team, I mean worship solo. Thank you for <laughs> leading us today. But uh, a team of one. Well, actually, no. There's a whole team of people that you can't see that uh, make this happen for you every week. And so <clears throat> um, <clears throat> today we're going to continue in our series um, called Trust the Story. And uh, we're in part 29 Part 29, we've been talking about how to understand the story of the Bible more fully, how to um, take the entire message from Genesis to Revelation and keep it together as if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he knew the end from the beginning. Because we say those things, but a lot of times we don't treat the scripture that way or live our lives that way. And uh, I'm super excited because the book of Ephesians um, shows this better than almost any other book. And so if we can bring my mic down just a little bit, because I feel like I'm a little hot and uh, I know I'm going to get hotter. So um, <clears throat> um, just because I'm super excited, I love this book. Um, it's not my favorite book. In fact, I'll tell you my favorite book is Philippians, and we're going to cover that next time. We're going to take a little break. Okay, so in the month of October, we've got two guests coming. Uh, David Boyd is our national BGMC uh, Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge. Um, so raising money for our global partners around the world. Um, he's going to be here next Sunday morning. And uh, David Boyd was a bus kid from Huron. So he grew up in Huron. Him and his brother, uh, Fedge, uh, Jeff Boyd, grew up here. And uh, Jeff was a part of the church, actually, when we came here. But now he's moved away. Um, he was a city commissioner for a number of years. And uh, served here in the church in a lot of different ways. He moved away, um, and so did David, of course, but their family was never a part of the church, but uh, Fedge and David were, and so he's going to be here next week talking about BGMC, but he's also going to bring the word. Uh, it's going to be a great week, and so we encourage you to be here. Um, and then we're going to talk about vision a little bit in October, and uh, some of the things that we believe God has in store for us as a church. It's going to be super exciting, and uh, then we're going to come back to trusting the story in November. And you need a break, and you deserve a break. Uh, I forget that everyone's not like me, and I could eat the same thing every day, and uh, I do. For breakfast, two pieces of toast, a banana, and two hard-boiled eggs. Every single morning, that's what I eat. Uh, I could eat hot wings every meal for every meal. Like As long as it's good, I could do it the same. And so I don't need change. I don't need, I'm, routine is my life. Woo, praise God. But I also realize when I take um, personality assessments that I am the small percentage of the population. Um, so everyone's not like me. And so I know you need a break. You're like part 29. Oh, and so we're going to give you four weeks. But if you've not been with us or caught up with us, can I challenge you take these this next month Read through some of the things that we've put on Slack. Read through Frank Viola's book, The Untold Story. Read through some of these books of the Bible. Go back and read Ephesians uh, today. And then on November 1st, we're going to jump right back in. And uh, we're going to look at the book of Philippians. And so the goal for us is to become people of the text. People who know the book. 
people who know the scripture, how to interpret it, how to apply it to our lives. And today, we're going to call it fleshing out the gospel. Fleshing out the gospel. And I think I've used this title before. I could do a quick search and find out later. Um, but I like this title because the if you've ever had to flesh something out, what that means is um, you, you provide more information, you make it more complete, you bring substance to it, you move from theory to practice, you flesh it out. And generally, this happens within a group, like you at work, okay, here's what we're going to do in the next year, let's flesh this out, let's, how is this going to look in reality? And the book of Ephesians does this better than any other book of the Bible, I think. And what Paul and the apostles are doing is literally fleshing out the kingdom. Okay, so on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came, and at that moment, they had everything they needed for life and godliness. But it wasn't perfect. And you can see it. They made mistakes. They had to correct one another. They had to change their thought process. They had to change some of their, I don't know if I want to call it theology, but their orthopraxy, the way they were living out this gospel, and they change through the book of Acts. And even the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 4, we looked at Colossians last week, he says, pray for me so that I may proclaim the message clearly as I should. Now, I don't know about you. If the Apostle Paul needs people to pray for him so he proclaims it clearly, I mean, I think we need to make sure, and especially when we're doing, we're taking a book that's over thousands of years old, written in a different time, different place, to totally different culture, and we're trying to apply it in our today culture. And sometimes we get stuck in a rut. And today, one of the questions I want you to keep in your mind as we go through Ephesians is, if I today came across this book, and I read it cover to cover, and I had no knowledge at all of how church worked, would I come to the same conclusions that we're coming to right now? Would we do the same things we're doing? Would we have the same structure, the same service schedule, the same activities? Would it look the same if we had no knowledge of it? And that's really what we got to do every time we go to the book is make sure that this is our guide and not something else that has been our guide. And that's kind of what we're looking at and doing. And the book of Ephesians, scholars disagree whether or not Paul wrote it because some manuscripts don't have his name attached to it. It doesn't seem Pauline in some of its style. Uh, I think Paul wrote it, so we're going to pretend Paul wrote it, at least for today. Um, if you disagree, that's okay. We're still friends. Um, some people don't think he wrote it to Ephesus because... Some manuscripts don't say to Ephesus. They think maybe it's the lost letter to the Laodiceans. We don't know for sure. And if you read Acts 19 and 20, and you see that Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus, and you see that Paul in Acts 20 weeps with the Ephesian people. They're like weeping over each other, and they're like so distraught that they're never going to see each other again. And so they're, um, Paul doesn't talk about any of them in this letter. And in every other letter he writes, he mentions people by name. And so that's what scholars have a hard time with. Um, so, again, believe whatever you want. Um, I think Paul wrote it. I think he wrote it to Ephesus. And uh, that's what we're going to say for today. However, I could be wrong. 
And so what we do know about Ephesus is it's a wealthy city. It's a port city. Uh, it's very influential. There's a lot of idolatry. There's a lot of worship of false gods, the goddess of Diana and the sexuality and the, uh, the way that women are exalted in a sexual way and getting understanding uh, from them is, is prevalent. And we'll see Paul address this when he writes a letter to Timothy who is the pastor of Ephesus at the time, and he confronts some of that. But Frank reminds us that the book of Colossians, the main point of Colossians, is Christ is the head. He's supreme. He's over everything. And the main point of Ephesians is Christ the body. Now, he says Christ is the head of the body, but the point of Ephesians is Christ is the body. And so if you look at... Um, Ephesians, and you step back from it. The first three chapters are a mini gospel presentation. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And it's, it's different than the gospel that a lot of us talk about or preach today. The gospel that we preach today is um, Jesus died for your sins so you could be forgiven and go to heaven. And that's a part of the gospel of the kingdom. That's just not the whole gospel of the kingdom. That's not the full thing. Jesus died so you could be reconciled to God, not so you could go to heaven. Heaven is part of that reconciliation. And by the way, I believe heaven comes to earth more than we go to heaven. If you read Revelation, that's kind of what it says. But we have, Jesus had taken away our sins because our sins stood in the way of us being reconciled to God. And through the death of Jesus, we get access to God, access to his throne, access to his kingdom. And we're brought into that kingdom. We're brought into that family structure. We're brought into that story that God has been telling since the beginning. This has been God's plan all along. And that's what Paul does in the first three chapters. And then in, verse, or in chapter 4... He starts with, therefore, so here's the gospel. This is what God has been doing all along. Therefore, this is how you should live, or this is how it should affect your daily life. This is what it should look like in the flesh. So the first three chapters are all about who we are in Christ. We've been seated with him. We've been put in this heavenly place with him. And then the last three chapters are walking out who we've been made. Okay? Who we are in Christ what that means now for our daily lives. And so keep that in mind as you go. On Slack this week, I put a lot of video resources. One of them is by the Bible Project. They do a great eight-minute video that gives you an overview. I'd love to read every verse from Ephesians and talk about it, but um, we know we don't have time for that. So let's just dive in. We're going to start in chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul is about to do is he's about to use this very poetic nature. And what I want you to pay attention to is that Paul's going to tell the gospel. He's going to present what God has been doing from the beginning. But pay attention to the pronouns. Remember we've talked about pronouns before? Us, we, we tend to miss them when we read because we think the important things are. Um, and so praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. Wow, that's just a mouthful right there. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Yeah, he lavished 
With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So again, that supremacy of Christ, what Christ has done, he's done what God wanted to do from the beginning, and it's all been made known to us. And then he continues, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Stop for just a second. God works out everything, everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Keep that in mind. It'll keep us from acting crazy. God will have his will done on earth, period. No one can stop it. It's going to happen. And because, of, because Christ already did it, everything is done. It's done. Everything in your personal life is done. Everything in our lives is done. It's done, done, done. It's Christ. It's accomplished. It's finished. Can't be added to. Done, done. That's some good stuff right there. Okay, so let me read it again. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined. Don't, don't, don't get hung up on the word predestined. It doesn't mean that God picked some and, and picked some to, to be destroyed. No. God didn't pick anyone to be destroyed. God might have knowledge of those who are going to reject him and then ultimately be destroyed, but he did not pick that for anyone. It's his will that all men are saved. That's his will. Okay, so don't get hung up on predestined. Predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also. Oh, wow. We just changed pronouns. What I think Paul is doing is he's talking about the plan that God has had since the beginning through Jews, through Abraham, and that's the we that's the us. That doesn't mean all of those things are not benefits to us as the church, but Paul's making an argument here that we, the Jews, were the first that God revealed this to, but now you, Gentiles, okay, you also were included in Christ. So everything that God has made known to the Jews, you, you've been brought into that. And some of you are like, well, that doesn't, what's, that doesn't matter. <laughs> You'll find out later why that matters so much to me, but you also were included in Christ when you first heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Okay, remember there was a seal before for the Jews, a covenant, but now the seal is the promised Holy Spirit who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the seal, the deposit. He's the guarantee of our inheritance. Okay? And if you missed it, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, all three in one. Put in Paul's little mini gospel right there. Uh, We could talk for weeks about that. In fact, I feel like so many of these sermons where I preach on a book of the Bible, um, I feel like we should just stay here forever, but we got to keep moving. But then Paul goes on, and he breaks out in a prayer. Okay, that should cause us to pray. And he prays that this church would know this. They'd experience this power of the gospel in their daily lives. That they'd grow in it, and they'd experience it. And that's his prayer for them. Then we go to chapter 2. 
which Paul didn't say chapter 2, we put that there. As for you, who are the you? The Gentiles, remember? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And if you know the book of Ephesians, Paul's going to talk about these spirits and these forces that are at work in the world, that are, are causing things to happen in our lives, that are trying to tempt us and lead us astray and deceive us, okay? And you Gentiles, that's how you, you used to live. Now, does that mean Jews weren't sinful? Uh uh, because look what he says next. All of us also lived among them at one time. It's the same argument he's making in the book of Romans when he's like, you know, the Jews, you claim this, and the Gentiles, you claim this, but all of us have sinned. No matter what the standard is, nobody lives up to it. That's what he's doing here. All of us at one time lived this way, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and its thought. Like the rest, we were deserving, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We Jews were just as deserving of wrath as you Gentiles. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And so he's using these pronouns, but he's showing that it, we're still all together. God is rich in mercy. Not one of us in this room is here because of our choice or because of our, uh, our desire, our effort, our will, our goodness. I mean, ultimately, yes, we had a choice, but the only reason we made that choice is because God is rich in mercy. And that's what he says. In view of God's mercy in Romans 12, offer your body to God as a living sacrifice. Because if you keep God's mercy in mind, you will, you will treat others better than you're tempted to. And you will keep yourself in the right perspective. And we won't think more highly of ourselves than we should because we understand it's all his mercy. Everything is his mercy. And he's given us grace. And then he goes on and he says this. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. Now, he's starting to morph his pronouns. And if you look at context, you're going to be able to see the morphing. So it's not just the Jews, again, that are seated in these places. It's all of us that are seated with Christ in heavenly realms. When you put faith in Christ Jesus and you come into the kingdom, you are at that moment seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And the reason is so that in the coming ages, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, we as believers are meant to be on display of showing the kindness, the goodness, and the grace of God, not just to the world around us, but to the powers that are at work in the world. Okay, and he's going to unpack this more. It's not from ourselves. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Because we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance 
for us to do. So at the creation of the world, God created mankind and he gave them works to do, you remember? And then man fell, but we at that moment were already recreated in Christ Jesus to do the good works that God had planned in advance from the beginning of the world for us to do. God's plan was not changed by the fall. He already purposed in his heart, before he said, let there be light, what the plan would entail, how he would bring all of humanity together, and how he would do this through Christ, through himself, crucified from the foundation of the world, all in God's plan, hasn't changed one iota. Then Paul goes on to talk about God bringing together all of the people of the world. At first, he had a covenant with Abraham, and God's people, Israel, were on display for the world to see. Their job was to be on display for the world to see. They were to be countercultural. They were to do things that cultures around them did not do. They were to treat people different. They were to live different. They were to worship different. Everything about them was to be different so that the, the nations around them would see it and be pointed to God. That's still our calling. We have now been brought together. The barrier that separated Jew from Gentile has been removed because of what Christ did, and God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham from Genesis 12, and he's brought together one group of people on the earth living for him. So he says at the end of that, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. <laughs> you Gentiles, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. You are fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Those yous, by the way, are plural. Okay, so this isn't about me and the works God has for me and, you know, what God wants to do for me and I'm a temple. And yes, I'm a temple and the Holy Spirit lives in me, but the American church has lost sight of the we and the you plural and we want to individualize the gospel and there's nothing about the gospel that's supposed to be individualized. We're brought into a body of believers with Christ as our head. In fact, the world is supposed to see that, and that's what proves that Jesus is God. So when the church has division or isolation or selfishness or meism, and we wonder why the world doesn't believe in Jesus. That's the one thing that's supposed to set us apart because by nature we're selfish. By nature it's all about me. But when we come into the kingdom, everything changes. And I want to talk for just a second, I wish I could talk for weeks, about this foundation of the apostles and prophets. Because if you know again your Ephesians, you're going to look later on, and he's going to talk about apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And in the assemblies of God, we, we don't like to talk much about apostles and prophets. Um, we're kind of nervous about it because there's false apostles and false prophets and there's been some things that have been misaligned through the years. But what you have to understand is when they hear this word prophets especially, they're not necessarily thinking of just the people that are quote-unquote prophets in the church. They're thinking Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they're thinking the prophets. When Jesus was raised from the dead in Luke 24, two times, Jesus teaches his disciples about the kingdom, and he uses the law and the prophets 
to show how all things point. So when Paul here is saying everything is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, what he's saying is the story that God has been telling all along, the foundation of that is the prophets, the apostles, the people who saw Jesus, and that's the foundation of the church because apostles and prophets have God's view of what he's been doing all along, and that's the foundation of the church with Christ as the cornerstone. The reason that's important is because some of us in our theology have kind of pushed aside apostles and prophets, and we think they no longer exist in the church today because they were the foundation, but they're not longer a part of us. But that would be a disservice, I think, to what Paul is writing. Because when he talks about it later, and even the story of the New Testament, new apostles, new prophets are being... are being appointed in the body of Christ. These gifts have to be active in the body of Christ because without them, we're prone to error. And we need them. And so in the assemblies of God, we, (laughs) I love us, um, I love our openness to change. We don't necessarily use apostle, we use apostolicity. That's how we're starting to talk about it, okay? So we're opening up our idea to this, and this is what it's about. Being an apostle is about visionary. It's about initiating and establishing new works. It's about seeing a broader picture of what God is doing as a whole and what God is doing around the world. It's not just about me and my little vision. It's about what God is doing. It celebrates diversity, and it avoids, it helps the church avoid becoming just inward. It's about outward. Okay, it's, it's a bigger picture. And I do not believe the, 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 uh, the office of apostle is done away with in the, the scripture. I think it needs to be established in the church. Then when we talk about um, prophecy, prophecy is someone who speaks for God. We've kind of made it all about telling the future. It's not all about telling the future. It's about cleansing and correcting. It's about warning. It's about foretelling. It's about guidance and direction, enlightenment, encouragement, building up. It's about exhortation and motivation and and consoling and confirming. And it's about providing vision and courage. And so apostles and prophets have this way of keeping the church on heaven's agenda. Understanding what God has been saying and doing from the beginning and bringing the church back to it. If you look at the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you see what they're doing all along is showing God's people where they got off track, calling them to come back. And then when they don't repent, it's telling them what's going to happen to them as a result of that. But God has a plan to always bring you back. So when you go into captivity, stay true because God's going to bring you back. Okay, so that's the role of prophet, and that's important because without apostle and prophet, you and I have a tendency to get off a track. We have a tendency not to view ourselves by the standard of the the story God has been telling, not by the standard of heaven and what heaven is doing around the world, but by the standard of what we did yesterday. If you measure something, if you measure a board, okay, we've used this illustration before, and then you cut And then you use that board you cut to be your new measurement. And then you cut another board because you want all the boards the same length. And then you use that board to cut. And then you use that board to cut. Eventually, your boards are going to be off. 
because that's not the standard. The standard has always been the standard. And apostles and prophets bring us back to that standard and keep us in line with what God has been doing all along. And it makes sure that we're not just developing our theology off of what we did yesterday, but off of what God has been doing from the beginning. And then chapter 3 we have to skip over, even though it's a great chapter. Everyone let out a collective, oh, because we want to read chapter 3 because Paul talks about the privilege that he has in being a part of this, and he prays another fantastic prayer for them, but we got to get to chapter 4. And the NIV, which I've chosen, instead of using the word therefore, uses the word then. So we could boo the NIV translators because therefore is way better than then. I mean, then, it's just then. So it should say, Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So he just spent three chapters telling us what God has done for us, who God has made us by choosing Christ and coming into the kingdom. God seated us in heavenly places. We have all these blessings. We're rooted in love, all this grace, all this mercy. Therefore, since that's what you are now, who you are now, this is how you live. And I want you to, to look at this. The first, the first thing that Paul says, live a life worthy of your calling. Be completely humble and gentle. And tell me what's missing most in the church world today. Humility and gentleness. Be patient. Bearing with, why doesn't he start with sexual immorality? Why doesn't he start with murder? Why doesn't he start with the big ones? Because this is the one that sets us apart. This is the one that proves we've been changed from the inside out. When we can love our enemies, when we can forgive the way that Christ has forgiven us, when we can do these things, when we, when we keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We feel like isolating. We feel like withdrawing. We feel like moving away from people, but we draw near. That's what sets us apart. The world doesn't live like that. And is, is that the message? If you ask people in the world today, not churched people, world people, hey, what does it mean to be a believer? What sets believers apart? Would any of them say they're, they're humble, they're gentle, they're patient, they bear with each other in love? And yet that's what he starts with. But we have a tendency to divide. We have a tendency to look at other people and say, oh, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And what does he say? There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And any of us that think we know all the ones correctly, we're wrong. Because what he's about to do is he's about to go through this chapter and talk about these different giftings that God has given us. Unity is not uniformity. Unity doesn't mean we all see through the same lens. It doesn't mean we all have the same perspective. Some of us are apostles or prophets, evangelists, pastors, or teachers. And the job of those people is not to do all the ministry. Oh, that's what we've done in America. Let's hire a person, call him pastor. And pastor, you do all the ministry and we'll pay you to do it. That's not the body of Christ. The role of pastor and teacher and apostle and evangelist and whoever I left off, I forgot somebody, but who all of them working together equip all of us together. But what happens is 
Some of you love apostolic stuff. You're wired that way. That's great. So, but everything is lens of apostle, lens of apostle. And anyone who's not an apostle, that person's wrong. No, 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 no. They're just, they're, that's a prophetic lens. Oh, that's an evangelistic lens. That's, I put a great video by Danny Silk on the Slack page. You should watch it. Because once we start realizing all five of these perspectives are necessary, and the other person that's maybe saying something differently that I'm having a hard time understanding, I understand that they're in Christ Jesus because they've pro professed faith in Christ. Oh, but Pastor Tom, they have an area of their lives where they're not living as they should. Who doesn't? And yeah, we work with each other and we help each other overcome those things. But can I tell you something? The reason Jesus said log and speck, deal with the log in your eye so you know how to deal with the speck in your brothers, is because as humans, we have a tendency to reverse that. We think we have a speck and everyone else has a log. And when we're not dealing with our stuff, like our lack of humility and our lack of gentleness and our lack of love and our lack of forgiveness in our lives, I am still amazed by people who sit in church pews week after week after week who pray to prayer, believe they're going to heaven, but yet refuse, refuse, I said the word refuse, to forgive other people because they've reasoned in their mind that they don't have to. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but that's so not the gospel of the kingdom. Because while I was his enemy, he offered forgiveness. And he says, do as I've done. In fact, Jesus is pretty clear. If you don't forgive others, your heavenly father won't forgive you. Ouch. So these aren't just little things that we need to just maybe someday get to. These are things we need to make sure we're putting on and taking off in our lives. And if we don't do this, we're going to be like infants. Do you know that infants are just generally selfish? They are. But we're okay with that because they don't have a choice. I mean, all they do is cry. It's all about me. Feed me. Burp me. You know, swaddle me. Change me. Ah. And when it's a baby, nobody, is, nobody walks into the room of a new mom and says, man, that baby is so selfish. <laughs> yeah, because they need it. But how many years do I have to sit in a church pew and still have it all be about me? We need all of us to gather around the same table and see from these different perspectives because when we do that, we get a, we get a better perspective of who God is. By yourself, by myself, I cannot have a full perspective of God. Can't. He designed it so that together we'd get that perspective. But we get so locked into our agenda, we get so locked into our perspective, we can't see what other people are saying. And then we try to disqualify them so we don't have to see. And the, the crazy thing is, whew, moving right along. You were taught, Paul says, because now he's going to go into this long section about your former way of life. And to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self. And get rid of all of these things. And look again, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. Take all of that off. Those are old clothes. Don't wear them anymore. 
It's interesting that he, he's talking about clothes. I know that we say clothes make the man, but they don't. They're just clothes. My identity is not in what I wear, although I wear Christmas socks every week and, or every day of my life, and that is how I've become known. But those don't define me. That's not who I am. They're my clothes. And sometimes we make too big of a deal about our clothes. Now, the clothes are important. When Paul says you've got to take, it's not like he's being flippant, but here's what happens. We look at Christians' clothes. Well, how can they call themselves a Christian? Look what they're wearing. They're wearing bitterness. I don't wear bitterness. No, but you wear slander. Oh, but you wear sexual immorality. But you wear this. So we're not defined by our clothing. We're defined by chapters 1 through 3. But because of chapters 1 through 3, we can't make excuses for our clothing. Okay? We don't define others by their clothing, but we don't excuse ourselves for our clothing. Does that make sense? So he says this. And then he basically goes through this. Take off lies, speak the truth. Interestingly, we love to take the line out of context, be, speak the truth in love, um, because, and we use that for how we're supposed to talk to people in the world, and yet that actually is about this. Speak the truth in love to one another. Now, I'm not saying we don't need to speak the truth to the people in the world, but I'm just saying sometimes we like to take things out of the context that they're in and apply them in situations that don't make sense because we want to do a, a certain thing. So just be careful. Lies, truth, take off anger and put on peace. Take off theft, stealing, and put on generosity. I mean, no one can steal from me because I'm going to give it. Take off slander and put on encouragement. In the body of Christ, we, we, we slander all the time. We've just become immune and deceived by it. When I talk to you about someone else that I have a problem with and I don't talk to them, that's slander, period. Well, but I can't go to that person because they won't receive it. Then shush. I mean, it doesn't say in the Bible, well, if that person won't receive it right or if you think you need to, go ahead and slander someone. No, it doesn't say that. And just because we don't want to, well, you, my personality, I don't like to go and talk to people because I don't, again, our personality, it doesn't matter. You've been given a new nature. Nobody likes to do that. Nobody likes to go to someone else and hash things out or talk about things that you see or you're concerned about. We don't like to do that. But we make excuses and we do the slander. Take it off, put on encouragement. Take off revenge. And by the way, every little sin you see in someone's life, you don't have to bring up. Remember, deal with our log first. In fact, go to that person you see sin in their life and have coffee with them and say, hey, tell me what you see in my life. Where, what are some areas I could work on? Huh. Now, if anyone calls you for coffee this week, you might want to turn it down. <laughs> Especially if they ask you, hey, point out some things in my life. But that's countercultural. Why would I go to someone that I see something in their life and ask them to point out stuff in mine? Because that's kingdom. So that I can see clearly because it'll change my perspective. And even just hearing them talk, I might see what I thought I saw from a distance. When I get up close, I might see totally different. I only know that because the Lord's been telling me that. And I need to learn that. So 
That was just free for you. Okay, revenge, take it off, put on forgiveness. Promiscuity or sexual immorality, take it off and put on self-control. Take it off. I'm, guys, don't, be, don't let shame and guilt cover you in this. Bring it into the light and put on self-control. Find a believer to confess your sin to. Get this stuff in the light. It does not define you. You are who you are in Christ Jesus, okay? But you've got to get those clothes off because those clothes will take you further than you want to go. It'll destroy your life. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy everything. It's not about your identity. It's about your freedom. And so we've got to bring these things into the light. Don't be drunk, but be spirit-led. That's the list that he goes through. And then at the end of that section, he says, be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father and everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The signs of the Spirit a spirit-filled life that Paul gives us here in Ephesians, are singing. Singing together. Singing by yourself. Singing. Out of your heart, you should be singing. Now, for me, this is easy because I sing all the time. And I think it's my personality because sometimes I sing Christmas songs and sometimes I sing worship songs and sometimes I sing just random songs. And then sometimes I realize... Wow, that song means that, and I should stop singing that song because I didn't realize it when I was younger and I put it in here. Then I'm like, ooh, I don't think I should sing that song. And so, singing, being thankful for everything. Again, if we ask the world, hey, do you think Christians are thankful people? Yeah, but what does the world know? Paul says in Philippians, if we do everything without grumbling and complaining, everything without grumbling and complaining, we will shine like stars. We would. We would stick out like a sore thumb because it's the American way, by the way, to complain about everything. And the other thing that he tells us is how to elevate others over ourselves. The mark of a spirit-led person is exalting others over yourself. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then Paul goes on and he tells wives how to do it. He tells husbands how to do it, parents how to do it, children how to do it, slaves how to do it, masters how to do it. And some people think that what Paul is doing is giving an authority structure of how everything's supposed to be. I don't necessarily agree with that. That could be what Paul's doing. But I'm not thinking Paul's saying that if you, that master slaves, I, I don't think Paul's saying that that's the way to go. But what he's saying to slaves is, if you're a slave, you can still live in honor. If you're a master over a slave, remember what he said to Philemon last week? But now he's like, hey, if you're a master, this is how you ought to live. Husbands, this is how you should live. Wives, always putting someone over, even parents and children. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Exalt, elevate your children to a higher place under you. Now, that doesn't mean let them be spoiled brats, okay? That means discipline them, not out of selfishness. I mean, how, who of us as parents, let's just be real, have ever walked out of a store, you embarrass me like that again, and never, never, never. That's what we do. You embarrass me again. Selfish. 
That is not discipline. That's not teaching them honor and respect. And so as parents, our role is to make sure that we elevate our children, not in thinking they're little gods and goddesses, but in how we correct them and treat them and honor them and discipline them. And parents, when's the last time you went to your child and said, hey, I need you to forgive me because I mishandled that moment. Don't just brush it off. Well, I was just angry. Or you, you teach your children when you're wrong, own it. Model it for them. That's the way of the kingdom. And Paul lays that out. And then he concludes it all. And everyone heard the word conclude, and they're like, praise be to Jesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Don't forget this. Our struggle is not with flesh and blood. That's our goal. That's our end game, flesh and blood in the kingdom. Our our. Our struggle is against rulers, authorities, powers of the dark world, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. And then he talks about the armor. And if you watch the video I put on Slack about the Bible project, they'll give you verses in Isaiah. Isaiah actually talks about the Messiah with breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation. I mean, Paul's not just pulling this out of the air. Okay, Paul is like referencing the text See, we don't really know our Bibles all that well, so when we read stuff like this, we're just like, wow, that's a cool metaphor. Paul was probably looking at a, at a Roman guard and was like, oh, I can use that. No, he's referencing Isaiah. He's referencing stuff that's already in the book. That's why it's so important that we know the book. But I love how he ends it all. Okay, take the helmet of salvation. Okay, our identity in Christ the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Because here's the thing. Some of us have been confused. This is the inspired Word of God. This is not God. And if we don't pray in the Spirit, we won't know how to use this correctly. Over the years, we have used this to chop people up. And we ought to use this as a surgeon. And praying in the Spirit helps us do that because we don't know how we should pray for people. But when we pray in the Spirit, the Spirit gives us wisdom to use this book. And that's what Paul says in a lot of his prayers, wisdom, understanding, pray. Um, And so praying in the Spirit. So here's the thing. There are spiritual forces at work in our world right now. And everyone said, amen. (laughs) I mean, you'd kind of have to be blind to miss it. Um, And so it's just more apparent than ever. And they are trying to undermine the unity of the followers of Christ. They are trying to get us to compromise our new humanity. The things we're to take off and the things we're to put on. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Form habits of prayer, especially praying in the Spirit. Form habits of knowing this book. Not just proof texting it so you can get your way. Whether in your marriage, in your workplace, in your... I mean, we're good at that. And I could do it way better than you. I mean, I used to be the world's best proof texter because I wanted to be a lawyer. I could argue you under the table. I could find a, a verse to just... Uh, I, could, I can do whatever I want and I can use the Bible to prove it. But that's twisting it for my own advantage. I don't want to do that. 
I want to make sure I handle the word of God correctly. I want to study it. I want to memorize it. I want to hang out with people that disagree in my interpretation of it. Because if I don't do that, I'm in an echo chamber. And I don't want to live in an echo chamber. I want to grow. And that's what we need, relationships. Prayer, scripture, relationships. And if we do that, we're going to grow and we're going to mature as followers of Christ. So that's Ephesians in a nutshell. How'd I do? I was only three minutes late, too. Most of you stayed awake the whole time, but don't worry if you fell asleep. Uh, we've recorded it, and so you'll be able to, to go back later and watch it. Um, and I'd challenge you this week. It's okay. I'm totally not even offended because if I was sitting there, I would have probably fell asleep too or at least daydreamed a little. So uh, I'm totally okay with that. And those of you that had small kids and you were wrestling with them, you did a fantastic job, let me just say. And so um, those three things need to be a part of our lives, Okay in increasing measure. Okay, so go back, read the book of Ephesians again this week, keep in context what we've talked about today, and let the Holy Spirit speak to us um, even more in the days ahead. So Father, I just say thank you today for your word. God, your word is a lamp for our feet, it's a light for our path. We love it, we love you. Thank you for what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the identity that you've given. And God, I pray right now for those in this room, for those watching online who have, not, who have not surrendered their lives to Christ, who have never repented, never turned from selfishness, never turned from their own ways of, of thinking and living and put faith in the work of Christ, what he's done on the cross. I pray that today... God, that they would come to that place, that they would make that choice to surrender their lives to you, to turn and to begin to follow you, to put into practice the things that Paul has put in this book. And so, God, for those of us that are in the kingdom, those of us that have put faith in Christ, who are seated with him right now in heavenly places, God, help us to see one another through that lens. God, to see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and to not allow the spiritual forces to bring disunity to the body of Christ, to not allow the, the spiritual forces in the world to get us to keep on old clothes that we need to take off. God, give us grace. Give us grace to flesh this out in our lives, I pray. Holy Spirit, guide us in this week ahead. Make your word come alive in our hearts and be seen in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. If you're in the room and you're